Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we're discussing Nomadland, which is kind of an awards season, which means it came out at the end of last year for some people, but came out this year for us in Aotearoa. And Into the Wild, which came out in 2007. The connection being they are both films about individuals who, whether by choice or not, are living on the road, living it rough, living like nomads or, or tramps or what are the, what are the other super ways? Super tramps. Super tramps. Um, so this is, this is the connection. Uh, and they both are kind of awards season darlings, I think is probably fair to say. Um, but yeah, let's, let's jump in with Nomadland. William, give us a bit of an overview of that film. Alright, so Nomadland is a new movie from Chloe Zhao. Um, came out in 2020 um, in a lot of places. And it features the travails of Fern, played by Fa- Francis McDormand, who is from a town that's just completely shut down by the corporation. Um, with nowhere to go, she ends up living in her van and travelling across the, the Midwest and towards the Pacific Coast on a search for jobs and meaning. Nice, brilliant. And Sarah, give us an overview of Into the Wild. Into the Wild, released in 2007, directed by Sean Penn and uh, adapted by Sean Penn from a book by John Krakauer, is the true life story of a 23-year-old young man called uh, Christopher McCandless, who was, um, by all accounts, uh, an A-grade student in the United States who had uh, sort of very strong principles around uh, anti-capitalism and consumerism, who decides to abandon his family and his old life, get rid of, literally burn his money, and uh, and take off into the wild, um, where he sees out his days um, enjoying nature and uh, meeting random people on a sort of a traditional road trip trajectory film. Um, And it's a a fairly devastating piece of real-life real life. Brilliant. And I think on that note, it's worth mentioning that we will be spoilering both films. Uh, I mean, they're not hugely spoilerific films. There's not great twists and turns. It's not the purpose, I would say, of either movie. But just be warned that we will be talking about the events of the movies. And and you're just you're mentioning about Into the Wild being based on a true story. No Man Land isn't based on a true story, but it's, it's pulling on some very real realities, um, mm-hmm. which I guess we'll get into in, in our discussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who would like to start? Oh, I'll, I'll start based on based on that recommendation. I found both movies to be really exciting in that they that they have very um, documentary like lenses mm. to both of them. Mm. Uh, both movies use a lot of non actors uh, in major roles as well. They visit these subcultures which are very very real with the real people inhabiting them, and treats it as part of this world so much so that especially in No Man Land, it kind of bleeds fact and fiction together. Uh, to create something that is is unique in its wholeness. And like Chloe Zhao has done this before with the writer. Um, I haven't seen her first film, but the, the writer, which was her previous film, is is brilliant. And it's it's all about an actual person playing himself and a fictionalized version of his life, but shot in a way that incorporates real aspects of the real world. Um, and everything just feels so much more lived in and so much more, um, I guess, worldly? Yeah. That's the brilliance of Chloe Zhao's movie, isn't it? That she cast Frances McDormand, who is... We came out of the pictures having seen it, 
and uh, we were, uh, my husband and I were, were lauding her performance and saying, oh, I wonder if she'll be Oscar nominated. Yes, she probably will. And, and actually, not in cruelty, I said, but you know what? She was absolutely as superb as I expect Frances McDormand to be. So to me, in a way, she hadn't gone that extra mile because there's nowhere further for her to go, if you know what I mean. And she was utterly brilliant at playing a really genuine real life person. I love the fact that her name is Fern, but of course she's Frances McDormand and that the only other actor in the film is David Strathairn, who's called Dave. Um, and both of them are pitch perfect, aren't they? There's no jarring of, well, there's the actor who's been interposed into this real life situation. And therefore, for me, total lack of condescension or patronizing or anything that might be considered a little awkward about putting a, an Oscar winning Hollywood actress into a into a gritty film about homeless people, you know, that sort of thing. I, I loved her performance, and I hear, I hear what you're saying, Sarah, in, the terms of, in terms of her delivering what we might expect of Frances McDormand. If I compare this role to her work in Three Billboards outside Indian Missouri, uh, and Fargo being her last, I guess her two biggest pieces that I can think of in terms of the Oscar season, mm. um, she's doing quite different work in each mm. film. You know, yeah. Three Billboards, which we've talked about on this podcast before and I was not a fan of, um, her performance was, was great, but her character was so unlikable. I found her very unlikable and very harsh and hard mm-hmm. um, and quite arrogant. And then, you know, Fargo is one of my favourite films and just this wonderful presence on the screen. And she rightfully has become one of the biggest heroes in cinema history with, with Marge Thundergaard, is it? No, Marge uh, Lundergaard. Lundergaard. Thundergaard. Yeah. Um, but she's acting in both, isn't she? You can yes. tell they're characters. Yeah. But this one, she's lovely. She's yeah. absolutely lovely. She's like a real person. It's heartbreaking. I actually cried multiple times in this film. I watched it on a, like a Sunday morning, and and I was didn't. It just took me by surprise. I started sobbing, and it was when she joins with the the kind of messiah kind of messiah, uh, the leader, the 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 guy who's teaching them how to look after themselves in RVs. And it was just a shot of them sharing food and mm. the community and the reality of these older people. Um, and knowing that the United States has been so hardly hit by the global financial crisis. I guess the film's set in 2012. Is that right? I think it is. I think I remember that there was some, some sort of the time Avengers. marker. Wasn't a, the there Avengers that, is on ah, the That's right. That's, that's right. right. Is that 2012? That is 2012, yeah. Yeah, which feels about right with the, the, the closeness recession to the, the recession. Um, who were the non actors in Into the Wild? Um, like all the people, a lot of people in Slab City, the, the guy who created the, um, the big old hill with the, like, God is love symbol. With the neon, oh, it's yeah. not neon exactly, is it? But with the old, the old plasticky, yeah, yeah, yeah. signs um, and whatnot. Uh, yeah, a lot of those people were the actual people. Um, just like in, in Nomadland, like the, um, Bob Gale, the, the guy who runs the, I mean, he is the real life YouTuber who runs this festival every year. I think everyone, in, I think everyone in Nomadland played themselves, yeah. except for, uh, Strathairn and McDormand. Yeah. Yeah. Which is extraordinary yeah. because they too were absolutely marvelous yeah. at being in this sort of acting space of knowing that they're on film, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's not a documentary. So there was probably some direction as to what to do, maybe, you know, and yet nothing jarringly like, oh, you can tell that's a real person. Because you know how sometimes I've seen amazing films, for example, like The Insider, just to do a massive tangent, wonderful Michael Mann film that I absolutely adore, that's based on truth. 
Um, so it's got Al Pacino, Russell Crowe playing characters. Great. And there are a couple of people in that film and you think, hang on a second, I feel like that court reporter's a real person or that judge. And sure enough, they're the actual yeah. real people. You know how you can sometimes just sort of tell. Whereas in Nomadland, it's pretty seamless, eh? Yeah, absolutely. I loved her friend. Um, what was the name of her friend that she she kind of reconnected with? I mean, she had a few oh, of them. Oh, yeah. Not the one that passed away. but La the Linda. The one that, is it the one that sent her the video of the yeah. bats or the birds? Oh, oh no, um, that was Swanky who, who Swank. did pass away. Oh, oh is it the Swanky sender that? Yes, because she went to Alaska to see the swallows. Oh, right. But I Linda's the one, that. they're cleaning the, um, they're cleaning the, the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I loved it. I'm, of course it's Swanky. I totally missed that, that moment. I was thinking, why is Linda sending her birds? <laughs> um, but yeah, she was lovely. That, yes. That, um, Linda and their relationship. You know, you just get this real sense of, of just their friendship and yeah. their support. Um, Apparently, I read somewhere, you will have read more, I'm sure, particularly William, but um, I'm, I'm sure I read somewhere that a lot of the people in it didn't realise Frances McDormand was a, an actor, let alone an, an Oscar-winning yeah. actor. Um, yeah, performing with her. I think she lived in her van for a while, didn't she? Mm-hmm. I, she would, wouldn't she? Yeah. She'd go a bit method. Yeah. I thought it was a deeply sensitive film a deeply kind and compassionate film and even though the message is strong that capitalism i guess both anti-capitalist films aren't they in their way obviously strongly so strongly so and so you know yeah capitalism is destroying people's lives but i love that 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 scene where she she uh this is um fern francis mcdormand's character bumps into her friend in the what is it the hardware store or whatever and she and the daughter says to her I hear that you're homeless and she says no I'm not homeless I just don't have a house Uh, and I thought what a wonderful distinction I loved the honor with which the the people who were choosing even if it wasn't an entirely their choice but you know what I mean at least making a choice to live small to live simple and to travel and to uh, absorb what the world and nature and the earth has uh, without it being like, oh, how kooky, look at these hippies, you <laughs> know? I, I didn't, I, yeah, it's interesting, the choice thing, because I the scene that's sticking to my mind right now was when she's with her sister and they're very rich situation, they're friends and they're, they're talking about, oh, I really should have sold my other house to pay for the thing. And then they say, oh, you know, you're so brave, Fern, for doing that. And she's mm. like, well, well, if you, like, this is not why I'm doing this. And yeah. And I don't know, is it a choice? I mean, she's in, in a rock and a hard place and she's getting the work that she can and this is what she can afford. And I but, guess... but, but, but it's... Oh, sorry, Sarah. Uh, it seems like throughout the movie with both her sister and with Dave's family, like there, there is an aspect of choice to her, right? Mm. She, she chooses to go a certain direction and the people around her who do not or used to have this, this mindset or do not have this mindset are a little put off by that. And the audience, I think, is a little put off by that as well because there are options for her. Because they invite her, don't they? Say, your room is here. You can stay with us. In both instances, right? There's a guest house. You can stay here indefinitely. Um, But she decides to not do that and to resume the nomadic lifestyle. Yeah. I loved loved that scene with, it it is Dave, and he offers her that life. And you just know emotionally that she can't take it because they've they've so woven her grief story brilliantly into... Into the reality of what she's doing, and, and I, I, I was sort of thinking, oh, what's the end? Like the end has to be her resolving the pain of her husband and losing this town. I didn't even think of her going back to the um, the storage unit or back mm. to the city, but it was such a satisfying ending. And I think, like in terms of genre, I was sitting there in the movie going, what is this genre? Because it's not a road film. 
Mm. Like it is not. Uh, we'll talk, we'll talk about Into the Wild because that is a road film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's very much a. It's like a. It's like a quest for for peace or something. <laughs> Superman. <And> so <laughs> it it, it, um, it the film owed Fern a, a happy ending. Like I think if Fern had had a similar outcome to um, the guy in I don't even know really what his name is Alex. No. Yeah. Oh, Alex. Alexander. Yeah. Super Super Tramp. Yes, yes. Yes. And Into the Wild. I mean, that's just not the film it's saying. Mm-hmm. Well, with um, Into the Wild, it is that road film. He's trying to escape. He's trying to leave behind. He's trying to avoid. Which, if we think about Thelma and Louise, which we reviewed in our last um, episode, a road film has to end badly mm. because yeah. you can't just escape from your problems. Mm. It has to be a very devastating consequence. And yeah, I thought they they did well with that genre. But I was just trying to figure out with Nomadland, which made it quite exciting. I didn't I, know what story I was watching. I guess I would say to your your she she gets a happy ending. I feel more, and you would probably agree that she gets an at peace ending more yeah. than a happy ending. But I do think it's interesting that the two aspects of home, if you will, maybe we could agree would revolve around the people in our life, the home of the the family, and the physical sort of environment. And she rejects both of those offers. You can see how drawn she is. She ha- she, she spends time with a little child. You can see that there is this aspect of her going, this could be quite a nice thing. And there is a room here for me. Um, but then choose, choosing neither of those to go off and be her singular self. I think, like, I, her rejecting it, they rejected her. Like, she lost her husband, so she lost her family, and her whole town was shut down, you know, so she's... Oh, I mean, at the end, sorry, when Dave has offered, sort of said, you know, you can stay here, is what I meant. I, I almost think if she had, at the end of that movie, if she'd ended up back at his house, I, I thought... Oh, that, that makes sense because she's had the emotional... Yeah. yeah. She's resolved... She, she has literally moved on in her van. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But I like that they kept it with her moving. Yeah. But I just think that it just, it just the idea of choice and, you know, like it's it's muddy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's why yeah. I come back to that scene where she gets really pissed off at the, the, the rich people. Because yeah. Because she's like, you really... That's what you think? You think I've just chosen this? Yeah. And um, that's the reason why? Yeah. And I guess I didn't mean, obviously, that she was making that choice from the position of somebody who otherwise had a really comfortable middle-class life. Just hypothetically. No, but this is the big difference, right? Yeah, exactly. This is the big difference between her and Christopher McCandless, Mm. who (laughs) left behind... The auspices of of, uh, of uh, wealth and comfort, and, absolutely, yeah. and a future and an yes. academic future and all that stuff. Um, can I speak to Into the Wild? I saw it when it was released, and I remember at the time being thinking, "What an amazing film!" It was mm-hmm. so compelling, particularly the daring ending, which we'll talk about. Um, I mean, I appreciate it. it's a real life story. What are you going to do? I thought, wow, this film's amazing. It's so meaningful. It's provocative, blah, blah, blah. But then on the rewatch now, post Nomadland, my God, I felt that Into the Wild was banging me over the head with actors pretending to be hippies. Look, I'm boiling water in a billy. Oh, I'm so sad. Um, and you know, he is so sad. No, but I didn't even mean him. I mean, I don't know, Catherine Keener. Yeah, like, I think Catherine Keener plays a really good. Hippie. She's good, but like, oh, I'm like, oh my gosh. And there's Vince Vaughn, and there's yeah. Kristen Stewart. The and, cast is stacked. Yeah. My goodness. Oh, yeah. and and that reduces its Hal subtlety. Holbrook, um, right? Uh, the, what's his face? The um. 
the, the general guy from the Iron Man movies. Um, sorry. William Hurt, Master <laughs> William Hurt, Harden, there we go. Jenna yes. Malone's voiceover. At yeah. the time, I thought, this is amazing. Why would you not have the sister's voiceover? This time, I'm like, guys, I get it. Stop moaning on. Which is really mean, because it's still an incredibly powerful and provocative story. But it felt so... Um, unsubtle compared with Chloe Zhao's movie. Oh my gosh, Sarah. Like, I, so the first time I watched um, Into the Wild was yesterday. Oh! Um, I completely agree with everything <laughs> that you were saying. It's, it's fine. Like, I think it's a perfectly entertaining piece of cinema. But man, is it unsubtle. Yeah. Everything from the acting to the dialogue to the voiceover. To the music? To the music. Oh, oh man. <laughs> the lyrics popping in at just the right time. Also, the I found the the cinematography to be really distracting. Like it was, it was almost experimental. Yeah, it's very seventies. Yeah, it's a zooms. But, but it, it was everything. Th- this this isn't Sean Penn's first movie. Like he's he's made a whole bunch of stuff before, and it just seemed like it was it wasn't a very um, sure footed or mature take. Like I, I I burst out laughing at the very beginning where the journal text has this stupid three D warping effect into. Into the yes. wild, and it was the goofiest thing. And in fluorescent green. Yeah. And I actually <laughs> said to myself, "Well, that's a choice," and because I was like, "I'm sure there's a deeper meaning in that choice," and I'm going to reserve judgment. <laughs> I, I felt I felt some of the filmmaking was was pretty effective. Like yeah. a lot of the very very rapid cuts, and and I, I felt like some of that lent itself to a similar tone um, with what Nomadland was, going, was going for, which is just, you know, these brief flashes of someone's existence, right? Uh, kind of building to, together this, this tone poem of, of these moments in a person's life. Um, but then you get to the end of the movie and he's lying on his bed, dying of poison, and the editing just goes out of control. Yeah. <laughs> like these flashes to the sky, s- extreme close-ups of eyeballs, like, oh my god, I'm going into the sky. Yeah, um, really distracting, and I, I don't, I don't think it's edited very well overall. And it was nominated for Best Editing Academy Award. But at the time, I yeah. think it was okay, maybe I guess a so. thing. In, in two, There's a lot of play. There's yeah. a lot of play going on, which I appreciate it. But I agree with you; it's not always effective. Was it your first time watching it? Yeah, I watched it last weekend for the first time, mm. um, and it was very it feels very much of that era which is which is yeah there's a few other films that i'm thinking of that kind of connect with it and it was fine i i just as the movie went on i got more and more frustrated with the character because of what i guess what we were alluding to before is that he came from this life of privilege and he chose to go and do this thing and like when he's burning the money i was like Oh man, you're an idiot. Like, yeah, but not... he did give twenty four thousand dollars to Oxfam. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I mean. It's just from a position of huge privilege. Oh, I, I you know, it's not this, not the actual act of burning the money. It was more just, it was more just the whole. Well, it was idea the symbolism that, of I'm yeah. turning my life. I'm turning. What is it? Turning my back on a capitalist lifestyle. Well, right. I mean, that's such a privileged <laughs> choice to be able to make. Sure. You know? yeah, and sure. I think, and the the part that really got to me was when, and it, and it got to me. I was thinking about it before the scene came up. I was just like. Wow, there's so many people that that would would love to have the opportunities you've had, and then mm. when he's staying in the homeless shelter, yeah. and it's the only people of color. There's all the black men, mm. and I don't know if there's any women, but definitely all the black. Oh, there's the the, the female who um, the woman who gave him the bed. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
I was like, there's a whole race element that I was thinking about beforehand anyway with this mm. in terms of inequity in the States that it kind of hints at but doesn't yeah. really go there. Um, and when he when he dies at the end, I was like, oh, you deserve to die. You're an idiot. You've, you've, you've squandered. isolated yourself. You've, yeah, you've, and you've, and actually I was reading some criticisms of the film. They were saying, and of the, of the guy that he was so under trained and he did this thing that apparently locals of the area know that, that story. And they're like, well, he was just stupid. He went and mm. went and did this thing with no training. Yeah. And, um, he's very self, I sort of really selfish and self-absorbed and his whole like philosophy. What I will give the film, um, in terms of that is I loved how they had all those parent figures who were desperate for their children mm, and yeah. they were giving him the advice that he needed and he wasn't listening. Mm. And so I do commend the film for building his death as again, it's that road movie trope. He's running away. He's got mm. all these opportunities mm -hmm. to go back. Um, you're right, yeah. actually. That's a nice angle, and an unusually nice angle, <laughs> that they're making the point, hey, young person, I see what you're doing, but there are people in the world who will be upset and devastated by what you're doing. Just think about that. Yeah. Because he did come across as um, so selfish, so arrogant, and um, it's an interesting thing, you know, he's 23, and I remember when I was 23, every young man I fell in love with will have been literary and will have, you know, been able to quote Dostoevsky, ideally, you know, and all that stuff, you know, and maybe write poems and have a witty line or a non-witty line for every moment and all that. And it's such a 23 thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's an admirable trait, I should say. I think everybody should have that. But, you know, when you're 23... You should read Tolstoy. But yeah. I, you know, it's the whole, I'm wearing a trench coat and I have a copy of a, a French existentialist uh, in my pocket as I walk around with my scarf around my neck. Um, if there's any of those people listening, then you guys are great and you're going to be awesome. Keep doing what you'll do. Do, yes, because, yes. But, you'll be right wing one day. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. Uh -huh. I understood that reference. Yeah. <laughs> but so... Um, what's your name? Um... I, I can't remember. Tracy Ullman. Tracy yes, 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 that's right. Thank that's right. you. It's from that sketch, Yes, right? that is. Yeah. Sorry, Sarah, carry that's on. That's all right. I on. didn't, I don't even know. You're going to have a hard time editing oh. that because I don't even know where I'm ending it. <laughs> well, Tracy Ullman's sketch is a bunch of um, woke young people and, and how she's got them to watch oh, friends. Oh, that's right. they can't handle it. And she says, oh, you're all going to be massively right wing by that's right. anyway. That's right. This is a recent one. I've seen yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, that's very funny. Yeah. Like kind of a, a counterpoint to what you, were, you guys were just saying. I, I think... But isn't that what the movie is about? Yes. Like, uh, we, we're supposed to think that Christopher is kind of an idiot, right? Yeah. Or if not from the, at the beginning of the movie, then definitely by the end of the movie. Like, it's it's about hubris. It's about coming in to this, this, this place that is so hostile to, to not just white people, but to humans. Mm. And to come in with this position of, of privilege and to think that, oh, I have, you know, um, some advice from a hunter friend. And I have a book of plants, and that's all I need to survive mm -hmm. in Alaska. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it is a very you know hoisted by his own petard situation mm. at the end. And I, I guess we are supposed to feel sympathy, but maybe not empathy. Mm. Yeah, like I didn't really think he had it coming, or he was an idiot particularly. Ah, oh, I don't know. Look, it's hard, right? Yes, we're going well. You know what a privilege you have to even make that choice. But it's not a story if somebody was not with nothing decides to have nothing. That's not a story. That's not a provocation. It's not something that a whole lot of maybe predominantly white people 
uh, are going to watch a movie in 2007 and go, oh, yes, maybe I should consider more that there is nature out there from which I can gain, you know, pleasure or... Um, enlightenment. Enlightenment. Um, and maybe I should look at my life differently. And I guess it's complicated by the fact that it's one guy's real life experience. Yeah. And he's leaving behind an abusive family environment. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? So there, it wasn't public yet that um, the father had been physically abusing the family. It's alluded to very strongly in the film, but it's still very, very light. strongly. But also, the, the, I think the, the, the degree to which he was uh, physically abusive in that household mm -hmm. was not as well known. The, the book, the biogra biography that it was based on, he knew, but he had agreed to not include a lot of that information for the sake of the and family. And Sean Penn thanks the whole family at the end yeah. as well for their cooperation or their involvement or something. Yeah, So, but then I think um, five years later the sister came out with... The memoir. Yeah, with yeah. Some, some more information. I, I think um, I did actually quite enjoy Into the Wild, even though the main character annoyed me because mm. it did have that awareness. Mm -hmm. I, and I, you bring up the voiceovers by Gina Malone and that part of the film felt a little bit underbaked. Um, she sort of wafts in and out, and I thought, okay, is she going to have the final word? Uh, which she kind yeah, of kind does. of, but it's not. Mm. It's there's a structural thing there, and I, I think it's interesting you bring up the editing, William. Um, I enjoyed the play. I didn't mind the play around with the editing, but it's a long movie. I don't think it, I don't think it's it two needed and a half to be. Hours. Yeah, it didn't need to be that long, and I wonder if with some tidying up yeah. and cleaning up, uh, and perhaps making if, if the film had opened and closed with Gina Malone it, that would have been and mm. she had just had the voiceover um, I feel like and then it could have centred her as our not our protagonist but if she was to take the lesson of her brother and kind of move it on forward mm. then at least we're not just aligning ourselves to this main protagonist mm -hmm. who's a bit of an anti-hero but the rule of anti-heroes, right, is you surround your anti-heroes with more despicable people, so you like them. Mm. Well, everyone around him was kind of better than he was. Yeah. And yes, I, they just, were super nice people. Yeah. The, the, do you know, so I found the Danish couple kind of annoying in retrospect because it was such a stereotype. Yeah, it was um, so, like, mid-2000s, look at those crazy right. Europeans. That's right. I mean, my husband popped his head around the corner at that point, and I said, this is the Danish couple. And he went, well, you can tell because they've made her Topless, you know, and so there's the stereotype. But what I found really extraordinary was that everybody in the film's like, hey, come on over, have some yeah. food. And I was like, well, maybe that is the way that people are when they're living kind of a little bit rough. Maybe they are much more generous and, and, and you know, benevolent and all that, um, which would be a lovely way to think about the world. My auntie and uncle, they, um, they have, oh, they kind of do up houses that's the sort of thing so they they do up houses and they flippers are they house flippers? well not flippers because flipper i think implies that they just buy it and sell it but yeah they will work they'll live in this oh, you know, re renovating open house and and spend months doing it up and um but they have a van or you know they live out of a van and so they for the last wee while they've been pretty much nomad landing it and um my uncle's telling me about how yeah, they, they do. They have like these different, like this young, there's this young woman kind of by herself and there's a guy over there in his van and there's a bit of a rowdy group of teenagers that were in the parking area that they were. So the next morning he made a big pot of coffee and my auntie was making pancakes and he went around and gathered them, the three of them together and they had this great catch up and she taught them how to use TikTok and... So I think yeah I think there is it a potential is like yeah there is a potential for yeah. that and you get a bit connection. of that in Nomadland don't you oh yeah yeah for mm. sure for sure coming back to the judging of Chris McCandless <laughs> um, the people versus the people versus Chris McCandless I acknowledge that 
he was probably a, a special sort of person. Is it Chris or Alex? No, uh, well, Chris. his Christopher McCandless is his real name, but his moniker was Alexander Supertram. Ah. Because you don't, you know, cut up your social security card and all that and then go around America giving your real name. So right. you log in as your, your pretend name, <laughs> right? So, for Jeremy, that's what you do okay, for cool. when I'll it happens. I'm taking notes, I'm taking notes. But um, I think, and isn't it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, every, we all come to everything with our own personal lens. I resented the fact that he didn't send a letter to his sister. Because effectively, she's in the same boat as he is. They were patently so close. Because at the beginning of the film, you think, are they boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, da-da-da. And I thought that was really mean of him to not even correspond secretly. And she says he could have sent a letter via my friends or something. And I just felt that would have been a really less selfish, more compassionate thing for him to do. Particularly as technically, he wasn't going away to die. So this was not a suicide mission. Not purposely, you know. So therefore, wouldn't that have been a sensitive thing to do, you know? And I'll meet up with you, sis, one day, and and we'll go and live our best life somewhere away from our parents. Great. I could handle that, mm, yeah. you know? Um, that's why I find the motivation you talk about with the story, the need for, you know, that's not a story, someone going from nothing to nothing. Frances McDormand's situation, you know, she had everything. She was really happy with her life and empire, yeah. and she lost it all, and... Now she's living in a van, working at Amazon mm. for Christmas. Oh, Amazon. do we talk about the Amazon? You better. Yeah, yeah. that's um, well, about the Amazon scene, and also about a, a number of scenes in Nomadland. Um, to me, I, I have down in my notes, the movie is verging into dystopian sci-fi. Um, just how they shoot these these very very large, inhuman industrial spaces, and you know, like the the Amazon shipping plant with. Just convey abouts as far as the eye can see, mm. uh, hiring you know vagrants or part-time workers, and it, it was it was horrifying. Mm. Like you know, you see footage like this before, um, but even displayed like this, it's very very striking. And then later on, of course, when she, um, Fern is working at the sugar beet um, processing plant, and it's just, just these giant machineries at night with literal mountains of produce that these tiny little humans are moving and i don't think the movie makes a stronger point than these scenes where it's just about the little guy being crushed under the the weight of you know consumerism well consumerism for amazon Mm. oh also the beats i guess because you Mm. eat them but just capitalism right It's, it's the system that's built upon the backs of of modern slave labor um, and very very well put without a single line of dialogue. Well, there, there's that. Um, there's the speech that. What's the What's the guy's name? Who's the YouTuber? Uh, uh, Bob Wells. Bob Wells. He he yeah. speaks to that, doesn't he? Ah, he talks yeah. about that in that scene. But you're right, William. And I, I hadn't really thought of the horror of that because I was just really fascinated by the mechanics of working at Amazon, <clears throat> and I've seen boxing videos on YouTube before, um, and the kind of camaraderie as well that she was finding with her work. Yeah, so I was sort yeah. of endeared to that. Yes. But I think the suggestion that this, and I guess more than a suggestion, that this is kind of the new normal for a lot of people in the States, it's a really scary thought that um, that this is this is the reality. And maybe that's just my very privileged white perspective. I, don't, you know, I think about the factory work that we have in New Zealand, and I, I've... I don't know. What I don't really life. think about it. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah. I do think the Amazon thing is is I don't want to say a phenomenon because probably it isn't um, that um, unusual or um, unique. But um, listening to a radio interview the other day with a New Zealander who's living in Austin, Texas, 
and um, and he spoke um, sort of by the by about um, Amazon being really amazing and how pretty much every day they'll have some parcel arrive on their front door because you can buy anything that you need anytime super quickly at, at very low cost and his point was wow America you know home of the free land of the brave whatever the thing is um, land of plenty but when you think about that crikey yeah Amazon has become what it is because it will is if there is any little thing you need you will find it and they will get it to you the same day if you have Amazon Prime or whatever. Um, and so why wouldn't you? Oh, it's yeah. only $7.93. Yeah, let's get two and so on. Well, isn't that there's some statistic where we've got more slave, more people in slavery in the world, in, in the history of the world. Wow. Um, but does in, you, do they mean actual slavery unpaid or is it or metaphorical slavery? No, actual slavery. You've got people in, in prostitution situations. Oh, I see. You've got workers being kept against their will. Like I think there's this mm-hmm. huge... Um, Yes, it's a massive issue, um, and then you've got then you've got people working, you know, in, in sort of effective slavery or, or effective um, poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw another another story which was in biblical times or in ancient times, um, a household slave uh, would typically be paid a certain allowance to live their lives. And they did the maths, and it's it's more than minimum wage today <laughs> Good Lord. in the oh United States. And um, yeah, it was just it was a really interesting um, wow. comparison. Mm. Yeah, but all that all that cheap stuff, um, Sarah. Yeah, when I lived in the states, I accrued so much stuff. Mm. Stuff. Mm. I'm gonna blame that on Amazon.com because yeah. it is so easy to get stuff. And it's so much cheaper, especially when you compare it to New Zealand, where stuff is really expensive. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, this thing is literally half price. It's going to appear on my doorstep in two days' time. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, you notice um, also that scene where Frances McDormand goes to the work office and the woman says, look, it's going to be really hard, I'm afraid. Um, I d- she says something like, you should think about retirement. And, uh, and Frances McDormand says... But I want to work. I like work. And I think that, of course, is the flip side of the need to work or the Amazon culture or whatever, is that her life has been emptied, sadly, of the the man who who was her soulmate and, you know, who arguably maybe gave her, I don't know, purpose, whatever. And so, yeah, she wants to work because that's the sort of person that she is, as seen by her cleaning the bathrooms in the, um, it's not a campsite exactly, is it, sort of, right? yeah, yeah, right, okay, sure. So, yeah. Um, and so that's interesting as well, isn't it? Just as a sideline, yeah. working for the sake of being productive. Although with, with all the scenes of her working, I kind of found a sense of unease because especially lugging around those, those sugar beets, I mean, it seemed very, very hard work. Yeah. And my feelings when watching that was how long is this going to last? Mm. Like how, how many more seasons can she take of this? Yes. Yeah. Particularly with um, is it Swanky and her health yeah, issues. And yeah. Again, another again powerful scene from a non-actor, I assume, mm-hmm. and a wonderful speech. Yeah. Um, and I think that's again I probably cried through that as well, and just the reality of, you know, Frances McDormand is not old. You know, she's older. She's not elderly, but there is a there is a lot of commentary about elderly people in that film, living a life that I would not want for my grandparents. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah kind of devastating to think that there's 
You know, and then the, the heartwarming thing of them finding that community, which I mentioned earlier, is mm. just wonderfully. It's just a beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of cinema. Mm. That Nomadland was one of the best films I've seen in so long. Yeah, I'm mm. so glad to see that it's nominated for Oscars. Yeah, um, and, and we're going to have front runner. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, yeah, I think it deserves it to take out some stuff. Win best picture, I feel, because it is a social commentary. Um, and 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 not just you know, I know we've got two female directors nominated this year, which is brilliant. And um, and I hope one of them wins for the sake of histor- historically. But of the films I've seen, I haven't seen um, the Black Messiah. Is that what it's yeah. called? I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen another film on the, the father. List. I haven't seen the father. Mm. Um, but Chloe Zhao, yeah, best direction I've seen this year of any of those. Films. I think she'll yeah. get it. I and hope she gets. I it. think she'll get it because that she deserves it. I think she might also get it because she's a woman and she's a woman of colour. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely do not mean that to mitigate because she's not actually a good director. I think she deserves it on every ground. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that would be an extraordinary win. Because the film is so, like, it's the same thing with the writer, right? They're, they're so unassuming movies. Like, yeah. it's, it's almost like the polar opposite of Into the Wild, which mm. is very flashy and very, very, you know, cinematic. Mm. Um, Land just... At points, it feels sort of meandering. Mm. At points, it feels like there's not enough energy or that... What was the point of the, that scene anyway? But mm. it comes together in such a cohesive whole. And the tone of the movie from all the footage and, and just from these these long shots of dialogue and of people's faces is, is wonderful it's stuff. It's a portrait more than yeah. a narrative mm. in yeah, a way, isn't that's, it? That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. I... I um... It's interesting you say that, William, because I found that it was... I would I found that the pitch of it really strong. Mm. I felt I was fully tuned into the rhythm of the film, and mm-hmm. I felt quite comfortable with... Like, tone, you're right. Yeah. Um, I would say, just in terms of narrative and plot, to kind of get into semantics, I would say it's not very plot-heavy, but it's mm. very... The narrative for me was quite strong. Right. Like, it mm-hmm. was very aware that this is a story of a woman dealing with grief sure um and it and it you know brings that in for a landing in a really satisfying way i agree with you into the wild is it's messy and i i, I quite enjoy most of sean penn stuff but i also have find him quite pretentious sometimes <laughs> well so i'd love to talk about just just quickly about sean penn director's purpose mm. william i don't know if you've ever taught high school english <laughs> but in english in high school we like the young people to sort of have a, a feel for the director or the author's purpose in writing it. And I felt, particularly on this viewing, Sean Penn is Christopher McCandless. Um, there's a, <laughs> Sean you Penn know, is. That's, well, that's what I mean. Like, you know, like I, he, he's so ethically driven with his um, Haiti work and his, um, uh, you know, his films are very, very morally driven and ethically driven and all that sort of thing and um so i can see why he would be drawn to a work like this because again sean penn is somebody who will acknowledge his privilege undoubtedly and wants to make the world a better place so there will be something very attractive to him about this young lad who actually wasn't making the world a better place but was at least rejecting the auspices of like having it all but I watched it through this lens of, oh, you probably would be friends with someone like Vince Vaughn, bombastic <laughs> idiot. And you probably would quite fancy a little waif like Kristen Stewart, kind of guitar playing, kind of, hey. I like reading. Oh, you do? 
that's good. I mean, I just was like, oh my gosh. Uh, in 2007, I didn't realize that this was cringy and patronizing to women. But now she's like, oh, you're selling books? I like books. And he's like, wow, because I like books too. <laughs> and you're <laughs> a girl. <laughs> you know. Wait, oh, wait. You what? play video games? I play video oh games. Oh, my gosh. It's like that. Um, it's uh, just to bring up Cecily Strong on Saturday Night Live. She's got a, a character that she does, which is... Uh, a one-dimensional female character in a male-driven comedy. Oh, right. And she's sort of this, yeah, very, very kind of one, well, one-dimensional. She's like, wow, I can't believe you're so deep. I didn't see it before. <laughs> and it's that kind of thing, right? Oh, Kristen Stewart in her vest and knickers, like on the bed, come over here. And he, no, because Chris is 23. <laughs> How old are you? She fibs. Then she lowers it one year. Then we get to the fact that she's actually only 16 and he walketh away. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, good for you. Yeah. Um, you resisted the temptress. Um, You're so right. Very, very, It's a very gross depiction of... of I, th I do love Kristen Stewart as a... I like her energy and, and as yeah. an actor. But yeah, she's that... What is it? What is the not quite? It is manic pixie dream girl yeah. Like, tropes. Yeah, except yeah. that she isn't space. very manic. She's not super manic. No, but she's definitely very pixie. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and therefore, you know, kind of dream girl. But well, she's manic in her attentions of him. You know, she's <laughs> fawning over him and sure. you know, and wandering over. And there's that stupid line from Catherine Keener's counterpart. I quite liked his character, but yeah. and he says, "Oh, that girl's that girl's staring across at you." And we haven't noticed that in the movie. She's just staring. You have to tell us that this is happening. Oh, he says worse in the next line about how hot she is for him and da-da-da. So, yeah, it's 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 not that nice. And it's not that nice looking at it through a lens of Sean Penn is behind this, actually. Speaking of which, I've, my very first note to myself watching uh, Into the Wild was, whatever happened to Emile Hirsch? Well, I looked it up, and it's not pretty. Yeah, it's not. Um, not. So uh, that's a shame. Because is, is it domestic violence? Or? No, it was some sort of ridiculous situation at a party yeah. where he was high. Um, he was in, on inebriance and alcohol and doesn't remember threatening a woman um, and, and strangling her, a studio executive, and strangling her and having to be pulled off her and serving 15 days in prison and blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, it's not pretty. It's, mm. you know... Um, well, Sean, Sean Penn's... Oh, he's well, not got a good history. No, either. he doesn't. No, no. <laughs> dreadful, dreadful no. man. So, Look, dreadful, dreadful genius. Emil Hirsch was in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Yes. Yeah. He was... Um, he had a small part at the end with Sharon Tate, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, plus, I mean, I, I guess it was the year straight after he was in Speed Racer. He's done stuff, which sure. we should review sometime. I, I, that that I've movie always, is nuts. I've always wanted to watch it, and I—it's so good. I always, you know, I, I sort of flip between loving Wachowski stuff and being like, yeah. "This is ridiculous." But that, that is both, by the yeah, way. Yeah, because Cloud <laughs> Atlas is like that, right? Yeah, like I really yeah. love Cloud Atlas, but it is a goofy film. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like in 2007, Emil Hirsch, everyone was like, oh my goodness, didn't he? Yeah. And he did. He did a great job. I remember all of the casting stuff, like, he's going to be the next Batman. Yeah. He's going to be the new Flash. Or, I mean, mostly comic book stuff. But um, he was the next big thing, you know, and post Into the Wild. That's right. Well, he's got a very boyish, comic booky face, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. in, in oh, yeah. I always think he's Elijah Wood. Um, you know, he's got that handsome sort of big slightly eye. big eyes. Yeah. And well, he's got, that, he's got and... sort of young, Le excuse me, young Leonardo yeah, DiCaprio. Yeah, he does. Sure. He does. Energy. Well, he did. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. All right, final thoughts, William. Right. Um, I enjoyed Nomadland a lot. 
like a lot. Um, I did enjoy Into the Wild, but I agree with you guys, it was just too long um, and felt very, very much of its time. Um, a, a little messy. Uh, again, everything we've just been saying, um, yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's just, it is a frustrating, a very frustrating watch at times. Oh, also the, um, the, the Alaskan scenery was awesome. That was so good. Actually, all, all the scenery across yeah. both movies was amazing. Yeah. Um, the Badlands, where they, they go to South Dakota and um, No Man Land, and Fern is wandering amongst all those very, very alien... Oh my gosh, so good, so good. And also the, um, the scene where Chris kills a moose um, reminds me of when we did so. <laughs> wow, true. And listeners, um, William has a master's. Yeah, and, yeah. And he studied moose in... In Minnesota, yeah, up in that, up in that yeah. region, lots of uh, lots of similar experiences there. Lots wow. of flies. Hmm. Sarah. Um. Well, similarly, I think both are absolutely beautiful films. Um. As I've said many times on this podcast, I really did appreciate Into the Wild in its time, but it now feels heavy-handed. Um. I don't think I can say that that makes it not a good film. Um. From its time, Nomadland currently superlative and can't be faulted. I think my biggest takeaway from both films is this. I was really touched by, and I think we're supposed to be somewhat inspired by, scenes of people being in nature, and even in the Chris McCandless sort of um, vein, where it's a little bit kind of over the top, just that kind of awe-inspiring, mm. there are a fleet of buffalo running past me, here is a river running wild, look at this sunset or whatever. And I was struck by that in a way that it is supposed to move me to want to experience things out in nature and the big big thing particularly in the Christopher McCandless story is there's no mobile phone and so people were absorbing things without Instagram or any ability to share that with other people and and there's something quite compelling about that because it Certainly nowadays, if I'm out and I'm experiencing anything like that, my first thought will be, oh, I should capture this. Mm. And my second thought will be, just leave your phone in your pocket. Who cares? Be here now. And it is what it is. And I feel like that is a lesson that we all need to be sort of re-appreciating re in this current day. Can I just follow up on that a little bit, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely agreed. Like the the Alaskan wilderness, even though it ends up killing him, I think the film portrays it in, in such an attractive way. Like you completely understand why a person like him would want to spend time there. Like mm. it's, it's amazing, and yet it's not for us, right? That's that's like the, the dichotomy of the whole thing. Beautiful stuff. Mm. And I guess to follow on from that, William, your point earlier about um, Nomadland. Uh, I, my trip to Nevada and, and Grand Canyon and Zion Park, you know, Mount, uh, Mount Zion, Zion National Park and Bryce Canyon. It was, I, I was like, oh, I've kind of been to some of these zones and it felt, it was a bit nostalgic for me. With Into the Wild, I have a poster that is, I think, a thousand movies you must see before you die. And when you've seen the film, you peel a little tab off and wow. there's a beautiful piece of artwork behind it, behind it that captures the movie. And when I bought the poster, I don't think this is the intention of when they designed it, but I just sat down and pulled off most of the tabs because I'd seen, I think, most of the films. 100 movies, I think. So 100 films. Ah. I'd seen, I think, 94 of the movies. Wow. And Into the Wild is one of the ones that I hadn't seen, so I can now go home hey. and pull that tab off. Begrudgingly, because, I, I mean, I, it was fine. I don't think it was, I don't think it deserves to be on that poster. Um, <laughs> uh, and whilst it does some of the job of being a bit complicated with the story, 
I don't really want to watch this movie again because I found that lead character just a person I don't really want to spend any more time with. And the fact that it's a true person, all respect to the actual person who passed away, means I'm like, oh, I mean, there's other stories that I'd much rather see celebrated. Like the story in Nomadland, which Mm. I think I always have a heart for stories that focus on older people or elderly people because I don't think we have enough stories about that stage of life. And I Mm. thought this film dealt with it in a in a beautiful way both emotionally and visually i agree it, it looks amazing so much desert and they make mm-hmm. desert just stunning i love the post-apocalyptic connection uh, and i hadn't really considered that um but this ain't no mad max so <laughs> I, I, nice. I, I can't wait to see what um chloe Zhao does next nomadland 2 <laughs> the return it's, it's awful <laughs> she's doing the eternals Oh, yeah. is it a Marvel or DC? It is Marvel. It's coming out in September this oh, year. Oh, why do they do that? They They're get just a, plucking. They get a Patty Jenkins yeah. or someone. They go, you just made an Oscar-winning <laughs> awesome film. Here, take this one. Hey, look, if it produces something like Thor Ragnarok, I'm, I'm all for it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, and Amazon Music. <laughs> there he goes, an Amazon plug now, and now critique of Amazon. <laughs> Oops. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, which will be our five-year anniversary. And actually, we're going to release a little mini-episode before then around the Oscars. So keep an eye out in the next couple of weeks because we're going to have some brief, exciting chats about the film. I'm sure Nomadland will come up then. But anyways, until then... No more 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 more